Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, writer and podcaster, creator of The Book of Constellations. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, their struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of I Love Lucifer. The fantasy of their day job turns into a living nightmare when the lines of reality are blurred as two B-movie starlets battle movie monsters by day and real monsters by night. Now, if they could only get along with each other... You bitch! When the cameras stop rolling, the real terror begins. I love Lucifer. Set in Hollywood on a low-budget horror film set, I Love Lucifer is a comedy horror show created by Susie Singer-Carter and Don Priest. Life changes for screen rivals Holly and Tanya when they discover their talent agent has signed them to a contract that imbues them with superhuman powers and sends them on a new career path as demon hunters. Filled with over-the-top energy, broad characters, and grisly action, I Love Lucifer is also a satire of Hollywood. It's not enough that Holly and Tanya have to deal with monsters from the underworld, but also the vain, shallow, and misogynist attitudes of the people around them. The two actresses must learn to work together in order to defeat the forces of evil arrayed against them. A brief warning, there is coarse language and gruesome sound effects in today's show. I spoke to Susie remotely from her home in California. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be where you are today. I started, uh, uh, well, too long, but I started, I mean, <laughs> how far do you want to go? <laughs> it's up to you. Totally up to you. My family's background is in music. My father was very instrumental in the music industry as a uh, engineer and a sound innovator. And he built A&M Records. So if anybody mm. out there knows A&M oh, yeah. Records, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then he had one of those quick, full lives. He died in a plane crash at 46. So mm. like, but he's still in the history books. My mother was an opera singer at nine and, and went into uh, jazz singing at 16 at her own radio show in New York. So I, I come from like a, a high achieving family. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I, I better get off my ass and start <laughs> achieving like, <laughs> like cheerleading is not enough. <laughs> uh, no, no, no pressure. <laughs> so I thought I wanted to be a journalist I, and I went to UCLA. I, I majored in communications linguistics and then I realized I actually hate news. It's so depressing. And <laughs> um, I decided that's not for me. And I got into and but I do love writing. I do like performing. I, I did years and years of um, improv. And I realized that, you know, those those two concentrations go together, like improv and oh, writing yeah. is, fin yeah, it's, yeah. you know, they're the same thing, really. I have a background in theater and performance. And when I was still back in undergrad and that kind of stuff, I took an improv class. For me, I think that was one of the best things I ever did in terms of an artist because it really freed me up and it allowed me to access my creativity in ways that I didn't expect. So I agree with you that uh, improv and writing oh, go along really well together. It's required. 
It's yeah. required. As a director, it's such a great tool. It forces you to listen. Yeah. It forces you to react and to be spontaneous and to be in the moment. That's the uh, that's the best part of it is that you have to be in the moment. Absolutely. So I realized I'm good at improv. I'm good at writing and I'm not too shy. So let me lean into that career. My first break was doing two two children's television shows for CBS Saturday morning at the same time. And then from there, I wrote Bratz the movie for Lionsgate. And then from there, I went and co-produced Soul Surfer. Cut to a couple years ago, I did a, a short film, which was my directorial debut called My Mom and the Girl. Mm-hmm. That starred Valerie Harper, yeah. who played my mother, who my mother has Alzheimer's. And that's it was a, a day in the life of when she lived with me for a year. Hmm. Everyone kept saying, you need to do a film about it. And I was like, just what the world needs is another Alzheimer's film. <laughs> it was such a delightful, a very small moment that was a very large concept so much. And it spoke volumes about how to uh, reframe how you look at somebody with a disability. You've had a wonderful career in Hollywood. Varied. Yeah, it goes up and down like everybody's. <laughs> sure, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, so what brought you then to your audio drama, I Love Lucifer? After My Mom and the Girl, I went on the festival circuit. It was my first time, da-da-da. And I realized, you know, and by the way, I'll just do a little a little humble brag is that we were Oscars qualified. Mm-hmm. We won so many awards. It was so beautiful. But the best part of it was that it achieved what I wanted to do, which was to kick off a different kind of conversation about dementia and Alzheimer's and aging. So I realized I needed to keep that conversation going for my mom, who's still alive 16 years with Alzheimer's. Uh-huh. So I'm very involved in the caregiving community, and I started a podcast called Love Conquers Alls two years ago this month. And in 2020, um, my co-host at the time, who's also a filmmaker, she submitted us to the New Media Film Festival, and we won Best Podcast in 2020. That's very nice. Congratulations. So I thought, maybe we're doing it right. So come the pandemic, I thought, what are we going to do right now? I'm like, and I, I'm now roommates with my producing partner, Don. We've been best friends forever. We were quarantining together, right? And I cannot sit down for a second. And I thought, why don't we take our screenplay, I Love Lucy, and do a podcast since I'm so fancy and good at podcasts, apparently. <laughs> this was a script you already written then. We wrote a screenplay that we had originally developed as a, actually as a series mm-hmm. with a Max Brooks who helped us create the world of the monsters because I am not really a horror person. This is, I love Lucifer is a horror comedy. I love comedy and I love relationship. And it's really about two women navigating this world bonding and and becoming stronger together than apart. And it's also a metaphor taking the piss at Hollywood as well. (laughs) Yes. I don't know if your audience knows Max Brooks. He's uh, Mel Brooks's son and uh, also the son of, of the amazing Anne Bancroft. And he also wrote World War Z, The Zombie Survival Guide. He's standing room only at Comic-Con. So Max, I met Max and he said, you know, listen, I love this project. I like you. I'm not going to help you write it. You got it down. I want to do is consult you on the real monster world because you have fans out there that really know the monster world. Mm-hmm. 
and you cannot pander to them because there's a big difference between the world of the monsters in Hollywood and then the real, with quotations, monster world. Right. So you had the screenplay and you decided to turn it into an audio drama. Um, was this mostly just because you were quarantining and you needed something to do or was there something? At yes. That- yes. And I also thought, OK, you know what I thought about podcasting in terms of, of the business side is that it is still the wild, wild west in, in some ways. Pretty soon it'll be like any other faction of our industry, you know, where it's where there's going to be gatekeepers all over oh, the sure. place. But right now, anybody can do a podcast. So I thought this is my chance to do a proof of concept. I thought, come on, Don, let's do it. It'll be easy. I'm sure there's a lot of actors that want to work. We don't have a budget, but what we do have is our skills and we won't have to be shooting any video. One thing we haven't done is audio design, but we we do now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, and I want to say you actually do a really good job, I think. Thank you. Well, the, the audio soundscape in, in the show is very impactful. All the, the lovely crunches and the gurgling blood sounds are, are very well done. And you, you do a really good job of building the the soundscape with uh, the sound of the movie set and all that kind of stuff. So, ah, thank you so much. God, that is the most realistic monster mask I have ever seen. Sweetie, you had me going so hard. Oh my God. (laughs) The lusty, full-throated roar you hear comes from the monster chomping into Frankie's terrified face, screaming and gurgling as his lifeblood drains into the monster's jaws. Rather extreme, revolting, isn't it? Yes, our story takes a sudden sharp turn into the dark and macabre. So why don't you tell us about your show, I Love Lucifer, in your own words? How do you describe it? It's two B-movie stars who fight movie monsters by day and real monsters by night. Yeah. And that is it. That's the and so, But you've got kind of a very broad characters, very sort of in-your-face comedy. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. And there's a, certainly a sense of parody there, I think. Yes. What about this genre appeals to you? Why did you want to write this audio drama this way? I did a musical called Scream Queens. It was uh, eight Scream Queens at a convention waiting for Roger Corman to show up to, so for their big break. Right. And couple that with the fact that I used to be married to an actor called Jason Carter, who was a regular on Babylon 5, Mm -hmm. that show. And I often accompanied him to conventions. And the people that attend these conventions, it's so fertile for story. It's the biggest amusement park you've ever seen (laughs) of people. I have such a bird's eye view of that. And I thought it was just such a, a, a wonderful arena to play in, a sandbox to play in, that I really wanted to play in that sandbox and I know girls I and mean, I, you know, I have this, it's a female driven at the core of anything I write is relationship driven. I had a review that said, I put that Susie Singer Carter puts the heart in horror. Oh. And that made me feel so good. And I love that because I play Holly and Holly really is a gentle soul and really just wants to please and really is inter- more interested in her relationships than anything else. She really likes Tanya. Tanya is, you know a bitch on wheels and and but really isn't oh my god larry i guarantee you he's never directed anything before this fyi he only gives me one take on my close-up and he always gives her as many takes as she wants well maybe it's because you only need one take no larry maybe it's because she's blowing him yo holly you're blowing him aren't you yeah yeah what sorry (laughs) earbuds what'd you say I said, you're Ollie, how's it going? Oh 
Well, it, it's going great. Ian is a genius, and the prosthetic is working perfectly now. Anyway, I gotta go and get into my character. Gotta do my zombie close-up. <laughs> I agree that Holly does. She seems to be the most carefully drawn character, at least in the first episode, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Almost every character, with the exception of Holly, comes across as very vain, self-involved. Yeah. Well, I'm just I'm just curious as to who in Hollywood hurt you. <laughs> okay, the question is, Keith, who didn't? I uh, gotcha. Let's, okay. Come on, let's play it real. I mean, listen. Tell me about that. Tell me about why you wanted to you wanted to hold Hollywood's feet to the fire. It's not that I want to. It's just it has so much humor in it. Yeah. If you look at anything that is, you know, any bad situation, like even with my mom's Alzheimer's, there's so much humor to be honed. It's the best antidote to pain is to, is is humor. It's just having fun with it, really. It's just having fun. And, and honestly, I've had so many wonderful experiences with people that have been my mentors and have, you can only succeed with a tribe. But there are some shitty people in any field, yeah. in any field. You hear horror stories about how women uh, are treated in Hollywood, you know, and, and with every year it passes, we always hope that maybe things are getting a little better. What do you think? Are we getting better? I don't think so. I don't think we're getting better. I think there's a more of an awareness of it. There's a conversation that's out there in the zeitgeist. I still don't believe that that you know there hasn't been a, a big enough shift. There has been definitely a palpable shift in diversity, mm-hmm. where whereas women we are thrown into that category of being a diverse group, but we're we're very distinctly different in that there's a lot of diversity in our group. And I did two documentaries for the Writers Guild for Women's History Month, 2018 and 19, just, just talking about the women that broke the glass ceiling and then the women that got through the glass ceiling and what are the what are we up against now? Yeah. And so, you know, and I talk about all the different biases. There's still a lot of biases and there's also biases just on pure superficiality. Oh, sure. You know, right. you know, I'm blonde. I call it the blonde bias. I say hire a blonde. We have to be twice as good. Hmm. That's just a fact. Yeah. It's just a horrible fact. And and a lot of the bias comes from other women. Pretty clearly, I think that's one of the themes you're trying to wrestle with in I Love Lucifer. Tanya is clearly jealous of Holly, even in the very first episode. Yep. And one thing I did pick up on is that aging seems to be a recurring theme. Larry is wrestling with it. There's several times he talks about, people talk about, well, you must be 55. And he's like, no, are you kidding me? I'm not. I'm not that old. And then Tanya also talks about the fact that someone calls her out of that she's getting older. Yeah. Um, and she says, you know, she actually talks about the fact that talent is overrated, that I think she's feeling like, doesn't matter how good an actress I am, if I'm getting old, I'm not going to get cast. Yeah. I would so kill to be in horror films. Then do it. I wish. I failed high school drama. Don't let that hold you back. Let me tell you, dude. Talent is overrated. What? Yeah, apparently it's all about being young and giving tongue. You don't need school. What are you learning, calculus? There's an app for that. So tell me about why you wanted to weave that into this particular story. Oh, my gosh. Well, ageism, you know, is alive and well in our industry. I mean, we have a, a committee all around that on at the, at the Writers Guild, which really boggles the mind because one would think that a writer could only get better with age. Right. Because the more experience, the more perspective, the better writer. If you're a woman, it's worse. I mean, we, we you can age out really fast, even if you're behind the camera. 
I guess that makes a lot of sense to me that you would want this story to be about Holly and Tanya sort of finding friendship or sisterhood or connection because you got to stick together. It's a love story. It's really a love story between two women who you can get teary eyed in a couple of the episodes. I mean, it's very sweet and it's very warm. And that's why I think people have said I put the heart in horror because I think that all good stories are based on relationship and growth. Yeah. One of the things I think I like about your show that works really well is you're not afraid to sort of take it over the top and to really have mm -hmm. some big energy and big fun with the choices you make. But I think that's entirely appropriate because that's the genre of the B-movie, right? It's about mm -hmm. the big shocks and it's about the loud energy and so forth. But as you say, underneath that... I do get, even from the first episode, I do see in the character of Holly, especially, that there is something more than simply just, you know, big, loud, almost stereotypical characters, that there's the grain of the relationships and the truths are already there. I think that big energy works really well. And especially when you've got zombies, you know, ripping people's faces off and blood spurting everywhere and so forth. I... Exactly. You have to dive into the Bible of the, of the genre, right? You can't dip your toe in it. It's like when Max would be speaking at Comic-Con and go, so Max, if a zombie got shot with a brass bullet and he was hit on the right side above the lung, how <laughs> would he die? And and Max would go, good question. And he took it so seriously. And that's that's how you have to do in a genre. You You have to believe what you're writing. Otherwise, you have to have the truth. It has to be based on truth. And even if it's not real. For this story, it's real. For this story, Typhon is there. And for this yeah. story, Echidna has been under a rock for 3,000 years. And it's all based on real monsters that have been written in mythology. And it goes goes way back. You finished the first season, is that correct? I did. Yeah. Um, I did. How do you feel about how it went? I'm thrilled with it. I, I love it so much. And I, I'm I'm so proud of... We, we had almost 40 actors... Adam Levy, who plays Nigel, isn't he phenomenal? You know what? That guy, and this is not Adam Levy. This is the character uh, character of Nigel. He creeps me out so much. And that's a credit to, to the actor. Um, but man. He's based on my ex-husband, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, folks that love him. <laughs> but it is. <laughs> there is my little sausage now. Tanya. Creeping through the fog, surrounded by scrubby vegetation and crooked wooden crosses. An old, old cemetery. But look at her. She takes after her daddy. So utterly beautiful. Even in spurred boots, denim pants, a holstered six-shooter, leather jacket and cowboy hat, She'd remind you of Indiana Jones, if Indiana Jones were the graceful, delicate sausage I poured my heart into. Yes, fatherhood, one of the top 20 roles of my lifetime. You have a great, fantastic cast. Um... And we've done really well. We've been nominated for seven Audioverse Awards. So I think the most frustrating thing about this platform is that there's a big divide between the rich and the poor. <laughs> you can be an incredibly... Uh, successful podcast. You know, I'm on my third season with Love Conquers Alls. We're not making any money and it's a labor of love. I love Lucifer. I feel like we've really delivered a great, a great series. It's a TV series without video. And I'd love to, you know, I, I, it's that nebulous like X factor. How do we get it? Everybody is vying for that, that door. Trying to get through the noise is daunting. 
in this industry where the monetary rewards are hard to come by unless you are one of the top of the top, how do you measure success? Oh, well, there's two different ways, right? I mean, you can measure success mm-hmm. by your own bar and the response of your audience that does see it or listen to it. And you can say, okay, I, I achieved, I did it. I achieved what I wanted to do. I, and I, and my actors like it and the audience that does listen to it, like it a lot. So that's my success. Now I could get a call from Wondery this afternoon and go, we dig it. Where are you at on it? Or I continue pounding the pavement and the pavement is this whole map of this podcast world is new to me. So I'm, I'm still finding my footing. Well, since we're talking about our struggles. Um, do you have any struggles creatively? Do you have any, do, what do you struggle with um, in your creativity and your work? One of the things that I've, I've learned now that I'm getting, you know, a little bit more experience in my life and I, and I come to the, the realization that other people don't know best. Mm. And when you're in, when you're in your creative process, you're very vulnerable and you are in that position of, we kind of need feedback because it's you're not working in a vacuum. You want other people to partake in, in your story. So you you must get feedback, but not all feedback is good. And it may not be bad feedback, but it may not just be the feedback you need. Your stories are your stories. I think creatively, that's what I struggle with because I've had mentors give me notes on things and I've changed them and been disappointed that I changed them. And it wasn't my voice and it wasn't my wasn't my story. Like on my my short film, the reason why I ended up directing it is when I started interviewing other directors, each and every one of them, I swear to God, had a note on my script <laughs> yeah. and was like, you need to do this. You need to do that. We need to know more about her. We need to know. And I was I kept thinking this, that's not the story because, you know, we all get, we are all get insecure. We're very artists. We're very insecure. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's easy to get inside your own head and, and then you're wondering, is this really effective? And so you need trusted people who can give you the feedback that you need. But then I think you're right. I think you need to have the discernment to go, I appreciate the feedback from this person, but I understand this person has certain tastes and certain approaches that I think are influencing the feedback in a way that I don't agree with. Right. I mean, definitely be open to listen. And definitely, you know, if you get the same note 20 times, then you go, okay, let me let me look at it. That still doesn't mean you need to change it. Because those 20 people that that read your script might just happen to be, you know, coincidentally have the same taste. That doesn't mean that the 2000 other people would have loved what you wrote. Do you have any advice for people who want to get into audio drama? My advice is if you're driven, you have a good you have a good idea, do it. This is such a, a fantastic way to showcase yourself, to showcase your work, to showcase anything that you that you want to do. And you can self-market and you can be very niche. And it depends on what, what your goal is. If your goal is mine and probably yours, Keith, yeah, it's harder, but I'm out there. It's a calling card for me. It's a showcase. And I put in a lot of sweat equity. But if you have the time and you have the motivation to do it, do it. What's next for I Love Lucifer? You're going to continue to try to get funds together for a season two? Yes. Anybody that loves my project and you want to be a producer, call me. (laughs) We do really high production, low budget. We're really good with money. So... (laughs) But but we do need some this time around. Adam's committed. Adam is fantastic. I mean, we'll have some built-in marketing just through him. We're better now because we've done the full season. Now we know. I would love to do a second season. I don't want to just stop now. We have a whole new storyline. 
What about you, Keith? What do you have? To, what, what do you What's have? next for me? I'm, this is right where I am right now. So I'm wrestling with the question, and this is something I think you're working on, and I'm actually kind of impressed by what you're doing. Now that there's not much content coming out, since I'm, I'm wrapped up with chapter one, how do I grow the audience? Can I throw out some ideas? I um, Please do. What yeah. I've been doing is I've been doing bonus episodes, mm -hmm. which keeps you current. I've been doing feed drops with some other series out there that are in the same genre that I think, you know, I want to showcase. So we'll showcase the, uh, an episode. So you're doing a, you're doing a mitzvah as they say in French. And, um, with, for, and those of you who don't speak French, <laughs> it means you're doing a good, a good deed. And, um, and you're also gives you an opportunity to market. I'm starting interviews with my cast. Just keep it, keep it alive right. and vibrant. I keep reminding people, you know, it's like Netflix, you know, they put out the whole series, people binge it. Right. It's still out there. It's not, you know, you just finished it. It's like finishing. It's like <laughs> you just ran and you stop. And then you're like, well, wait, shouldn't I still be running? No, you did it. You finished. <laughs> now there's different things to do. Yeah. So we have to look at this an incredible body of work that you have created. And the, the job now is to get people that haven't discovered it to discover it. Look at this ridge. All these outdoor scenes are ravaging my skin. Next film we do is going to be all interiors. This is bullshit. You look great for 55. You're an asshole. I'm not 55. Who the fuck said I'm 55? You're a year older than mom. Well, my sister's a liar. Fuck her. Nice. Come on, come on. Check the fucking scene. Oof, her tits look great. I'm good. Moving on. Fans of B-movies, Scream Queens, and horror spectacles will find lots to enjoy in I Love Lucifer. The energetic performances and ghastly action create a blood-splattered theater of the mind. There's plenty of satirical humor, too. But it's the relationship between the two women fighting both real and metaphorical monsters that elevates the story above its well-crafted shocks. You can listen to I Love Lucifer on most major podcast platforms or see our show notes for webpage links. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. The show's webpage is thefirstepisodeof.com. If you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, send an email to thefirstepisodeof at gmail.com. If you'd like down-to-earth sci-fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time.